Welcome to Travel Worth Living, a travel podcast helping to share adventure stories from around the world. My name is Seth, and I'll be your host today as we talk with an occupational therapist who has made travel her passion, hobby, and ultimately her lifestyle. During our conversation, we talk about what an occupational therapist does and how her job has been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. She also tells several incredible stories from her many travels and shares some good tips for anyone having to navigate a long-distance relationship. I was inspired by how she has made travel a priority in her life and seeks to constantly expand her knowledge of the world we live in. Also, just wanted to say a quick thank you to all those who have rated this show on Apple Podcasts, as well as the two people who have left a review. I really do enjoy hearing your feedback about this show, and leaving a review is a quick way to help boost this podcast so others can be inspired by these travel stories as well. Also, be sure and follow Travel Worth Living on social media for daily pictures and information about each week's episode. And now, here is my conversation with Katie. So Katie, welcome to the Travel Worth Living podcast. So glad to have you on. Thanks for having me. Let's go ahead and get started. Um, tell me about where you are right now and what you do for a living. Yeah, so currently I am in Pennsylvania on the East Coast of the United States. I am a travel occupational therapist. Um, I actually just moved back to Pennsylvania in July, so I'd missed the world's pandemic. I moved across the country from California back to Pennsylvania where I grew up. Nice. And we were talking earlier, you've had uh, quite a few travel adventures with the occupational therapy. What, what made you decide to do just ever since you graduated full-time travel with that job? Um, I mean, I think that the opportunity to live in different places um, handed to you. I mean, they will provide you housing if you want. It is just a reason to see the United States and make good money doing it and having the opportunity to have these short-term jobs and then know that I can take off longer stints to do my own like international travel and things like that um, was really important to me after graduating. Uh, I don't, I don't prefer to have to take like one to two weeks, um, which unfortunately is the average American time off. Um, I really like to take a couple months off a year to just go and this is one of the only ways that I can do it. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it it makes it super nice. So, for those who don't know, what exactly does an occupational therapist do? Oh, this is a great question. Um, I typically start by telling people we're kind of like physical therapists, except not. Um, <laughs> so, if you look at the body, we like to say that we split the body with. PTs um, in half. And so OTs really deal with the upper half of the body while PTs deal with the bottom half. Um, But to go on to that, PTs are looking at strengthening and range of motion. um, And we're looking at the for what pieces. So occupational people think of as jobs, but it also means your activities of daily living. So everything from getting dressed, brushing your teeth, brushing your hair, getting out of bed, using the bathroom, you know, cleaning yourself, feeding yourself. Uh, if you're a mom, you know, doing laundry, cooking, taking care of kids. If you're a dad, same thing. What do you need to do for your job? Um, we try to take people who have had injuries or disabilities and get them back to as independent as possible. Nice. I like that. And 
so do you do you normally like do you take care of any and all patients or do you have like a specialty that you like to work with um i mean ot's work with everyone from birth through death um ot's work in the nicu and up through hospice um I have gotten the opportunity to work with tons of different uh, patients from the little guys in early intervention, which is birth through three, through um, home health, which is typically like your older patients, um, a couple hospice patients, um, and everyone in between. I mean, right now I dabble in both home health and I do school-based. And so school-based is preschool, so three through 12th grade, which is about 18, except if kids have significant disabilities, um, then they can be in school until 21. Okay. So all the ages. (laughs) (laughs) So you've done, yeah, you do everybody. Yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) Recently, of course, with the pandemic that has swept through the world, how has that changed your job? We were talking a little bit before we started recording. Um, What are some unique challenges that you faced as an occupational therapist? Yeah, it's been really weird. Um, Depending on what setting you're working in as an OT at the moment, I think life looks really different. I have friends that are working in COVID units. Um, For me personally, I was doing a school-based. And when we shut down in March, um, it became instantly trying to figure out how to do school-based online um, and virtually. And at the time... um, no one was prepared for it. And so even just figuring out how to get kids laptops or internet that didn't have access to those things. Um, And I was also doing home health, which posed its own issues because I both had COVID patients and then other patients that were extremely high risk, either age or sicknesses. I actually had a couple kids, kids, in their 30s. I'm in my 30s. So apparently I think I'm a kid. But um, Aren't we and all? so just trying to figure out how to keep everyone as safe as possible. Um, you know, all the extra steps. And I was just terrified of getting anyone sick. Um, while also, you know, dancing on zoom, trying to get kids to like, learn. <laughs> so it's been it's been interesting. <laughs> That's awesome. So what were you teaching kids on Zoom? Do Teaching like occupational therapy stuff? So it's interesting because different states look at OTs in schools in different ways, but we look at a lot of like gross motor areas. So can they navigate their classroom? Can they navigate the playground? Um, can they carry their stuff? Fine motor, how's their handwriting? Um, Are they able to do simple like buttoning and things that they would need to do for school things as well as um, like sensory. So how are they regulating themselves? You have the kids that are, you know, rolling around on the floor that can't attend and and really need that extra support or, you know, the fire alarm goes off and the sound is too much um, or even just being in a normal classroom sometimes is too much for some of these students And so just finding the appropriate accommodations and modifications to help them succeed in the classroom. Because for kids, that's their activity of daily life is going to school and trying to learn. So So that's what you focus on as an OT. That is 
honestly, you're the first person, you're the first occupational therapist that I've really talked to about, like I was mentioning earlier, I worked on the ortho neuro floor and worked with them, you know, as they're rehabbing patients. But I don't think I realized how broad your occupation actually is, like how holistic your um, career is. That's really cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting going from medical model to the educational model. It's definitely um, a different way of thinking, but it's awesome that you know, we have the ability to do it all. Um, it's, it's nice to have a job that is, is super broad and can kind of take you anywhere. Yeah. So when did you kind of get the, when did you know you wanted to be an occupational therapist? Um, so I went to an undergrad, a tiny little undergrad school called Elizabethtown College, um, near Hershey, Pennsylvania, uh, where they make the Hershey bars. (laughs) I've been there. Um, it smelled like chocolate on <laughs> at the campus, but uh, they had an OT program. I had no idea what OT was or what they did. Um, but when I went to E-Town, all my friends uh, were OT majors. They had a five-year um, like rushed master's program and one of the few in the country. And so I'd be like, oh, like, what are you doing? And what are you working on? And I would stay up and do their projects with them and they'd be like, dude, why aren't you doing this yourself? Like, I don't know if you should, (laughs) I think you should look into it. And so sophomore year, which was too late to join the rush program, but I decided that that was going to be the, the path that I took. That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. And like you were saying, it has allowed you to, uh, do a lot of traveling. You studied abroad in Australia. Was that for your OT or was that before that? No. So E-Town, um, my undergrad is a huge component of, um, study abroad students. Um, they, I think they said like 40 to 60% of the student body typically studies abroad at some point in their four years. Yeah. So I had this weird obsession with Australia. Um, Don't know why. Don't know what started it. Uh, Maybe like a Mary-Kate and Ashley movie or something when I was a kid. Um, But I was like, I'm I'm going. I'm going to Australia and I'm going to study abroad. And um, my parents were like, cool, pay for it. You do you. Um, And so my junior year, first semester, I studied abroad in Australia. So I already knew at the time that I wanted to be an OT, but... um, yeah, I just took classes that I needed uh, for like the liberal arts portion of my degree um, and lived in Australia for over five months. That's awesome. So what part of Australia? Um, outside of Sydney. Okay. Um, and I absolutely, I think my parents secretly hoped that this would take the travel bug away and, you know, oh, she did it and she's good to go. And I feel like just the exact opposite happened. (laughs) I was like, this is amazing. I love this. And, um, yeah, I mean, I fell in love with the country and I've been back once since for about a month to visit friends and things like that. Um, but I, I, I don't know if you find this as well but I feel like whenever I travel I meet Australians all over the world they are some of the biggest travelers that I know um and it's just yeah that country holds definitely a special place in my heart for yeah, sure that's awesome five months so did you do any uh surfing or did you go out to the outback or some of your adventures there <laughs> um 
Oh, man. So, yeah, we I did, like, an East Coast tour. So I went to, like, the Great Barrier Reef and did snorkeling for the first time there. Um, How was that? Did all – oh, beautiful, except the reef is, like, really just going to crap, um, unfortunately. I think, you know, it's been overrun by – people like me who go and, and, yeah. and want to see it, but just the sheer mass, you take a boat out. And I remember being like, well, how do I know? Like when we're there and they were like, Oh, just, just wait, you'll know. And in the couple miles in, um, all of a sudden just this massive reef appears and it's a totally different color than the whole ocean. And you're like, oh, okay, that's, that's how you know. Wow. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, just living, we lived in like a dorm like situation. Uh, I know a lot of people study abroad are different. Some people live in um, apartments, some people live with homestays, but we lived in like a dorm. Um, so we had our own room, but on my floor alone, there was a few Australians. There was a guy from Norway. There was a guy from um, Asia. There was a couple Americans. Um, there was a South African. And so we all just kind of got to live together and, and experience life and share bathroom. And <laughs> that's awesome. So you, you became like a family to your dorm dorm mates. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It was really, uh, I still talk to a lot of these people today. And I mean, this was gosh, uh, 11 years ago now. So it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So then um, you also visited England. Was that, uh, what's, what's your connection with England? Um, so England has been in my life for a really long time. Um, during my first year of grad school, uh, we had to do like a short-term rotation in a non-traditional um, setting. Okay. And so I found that there was a camp for the developmentally disabled um, nearby. Oh, wow. And so I, I contacted them and I asked if I could do a rotation there. Um, and it was such a cool experience seeing, um, people of all ages, mostly older, because again, this is, this is developmentally disabled. So a lot of them, even though they're older, they're developmentally very young. Um, and apparently there's this thing called like CC USA where people from all over the world can come and work at our camps the summer and make a little bit of money but they get free room and board typically and then get uh, an opportunity to travel for a little bit of stint afterwards and a lot of oh, wow. these counselors were from england and became friends with them and um as i told you prior i am definitely what i call an opportunistic traveler and so yeah. They came and stayed at my house for a bit, and then they were like, hey, we want to repay the favor, like, come visit England. And, I mean, why not? If you get an opportunity where it would be the cheapest option to go stay with people that you know. And so that's kind of what um, started the England train. I've been to England now, I think, like, between seven to ten times, just oh, visiting wow. friends and on my way to other places, it's a really nice stopover. <laughs> yeah. London is a huge hub. So stop in London, see everyone for a few days and then go on to wherever the next place may be. Yeah. What, what's your favorite part of London? Um, of London. Hmm. <laughs> One of my really good friends lives there. So I know she's going to like totally judge whatever I say, 
but um, I love the food. The food mm. culture um, is amazing, and they have food from all over the world. And they have this one street called Brick Lane, and it's got like Indian food and things like that. And it's it's like world renowned for their Indian food. And um, you walk down, and one guy might say like, "Oh, come here, you know, we'll we'll give you." a free appetizer. And then another guy's like, no, 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 come here. We'll give you a free appetizer and we'll give you a drink. And they're like vying for your, for your business, but all the food is just immaculate. And you're like, wait, I'm in London. Like this is London. Um, so it's kind of just like a a cool place to go. There's little pop-up bars now that are outside with like little vendors that you can just go around to. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's just beautiful. It's a beautiful city to just walk around and eat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I definitely enjoy experiencing the food culture wherever I travel to. It's, uh, it can always be, um, it just says so much about the locations too. It's really cool. Each one is so unique. Yes, I totally agree. Yeah. And then, uh, you've also been to Switzerland. Um, that is where your, (laughs) (laughs) that is where your boyfriend is from is that correct yes yes he is swiss so how many (laughs) how many times have you been to switzerland now so i think i've been three or four times now and i'm actually headed there in about a month for christmas um yeah so switzerland has what they call the the sweetheart clause for covid and so you can apply as a couple um if you are on one of the restricted countries you can apply um, to verify your relationship and they will give you an entry clearance in order to travel there. Um, so I will get to go for Christmas and New Year's. <laughs> and yeah, I'm assuming America is on the restricted list. It's on the naughty list for Christmas. Yes, we, we are totally on the naughty list for Christmas. <laughs> that's, that's so funny. Yeah. So how, how has that been navigating this whole pandemic, um, in a long distance relationship? Oh, man. I mean, so I always was the type of person that was like, travel is such a big deal to me. I mean, like I said, I I take off a couple months a year if possible to travel. And so I really wanted to meet someone who had the same um, values when it came to traveling, the same priorities as me. We met in Africa, um, both traveling in Africa. And so the, the idea of dating long distance wasn't so bad prior to COVID. It was like, Hey, I don't mind hopping on a flight. That's no big deal. I'm used to that. Um, and so we got to do that and we were like, yeah, you know, every three months, that would be awesome. Like it sucks, but we can do three months and and then see each other. Um, we had planned to meet up the end of March in London actually. Um, and obviously that just hit the fan. Um, and then it was, I think, over eight months um, from the last time we had seen each other to the next time. And it's been hard. I mean, doing FaceTime, dealing with um, the time difference and both, you know, working remotely for a while. And it's, it's been more challenging. Um, when Switzerland decided to do this sweetheart clause, it was such a blessing in disguise. Uh, we, I got to see him in August. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's a totally different ball game when you just really don't know. 
at least before with long distance, you're like, oh, well, I always have that opportunity to to hop on a plane and see you if we really need to, um, without ever thinking that this would even be possible. So it's been it's been interesting navigating um, long distance during a time when things are so unsure. But he's been awesome, and Switzerland's done really good. I mean, they're having their second wave now, but they've done a pretty good job of of keeping everybody safe and happy and healthy. Um, so that's, that's good. I feel good when I get to go there. Like I don't feel nervous <laughs> yeah, as, yeah. as I might if you were here. <laughs> no, that's good. And I mean, yeah, I've, I traveled back in August as well. And just the airlines are doing an exceptional job of keeping everything clean and safe. So I don't, I don't feel bad at all flying right now. No, I don't either. They did such a good job and there was hardly anyone on my flights, um, which yeah. was lovely because then I could spread out. <laughs> um, but even just, just the security and stuff has been upped, which is nice. Um, it's, it's weird traveling during this time. And, you know, I feel like everyone's kind of looking like, oh, what do you get to come for? <laughs> Whatever. Um, a little bit judgy. <laughs> having to show my clearance letter about 20 times in America. And then I get to Switzerland and they look at it for two seconds. They're like, yeah, you're good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, talking to a travel audience, I know that long distance relationships can be actually quite common. My wife and I did it since she's from Iceland. I was from the U.S. Um, what are just to hit back on this point a little bit before we move on, what are some tips that you could share if somebody's going through this um, right now? What are some tips that you can share that have really been a huge benefit for your guys' relationship? Um, I mean, definitely if you're able to plan trips and have something to look forward to, I think that's really important. Obviously that, that gets a little tricky with COVID, but having mm -hmm. like that end date and that countdown, um, has has meant a lot and we also have more set like date nights um where we both kind of like by ourselves we we don't see our friends we are not working and we like pick a show to watch together or a movie and just or cook dinner together or something and just things that we can do um just more together and to really have that time with one, with one another, because I think that life can easily get in the way, especially with time differences and things being super crazy right now. But really setting aside um, like a date night is really important, I think, to kind of just remind each other. Um, we also have sent like little gifts back and forth, um, which is nice, just like little, oh, I'm thinking of you um, gifts. Switzerland is one of the only countries that doesn't accept Amazon. So that's been a whole load of fun. <laughs> really? Oh, they are such a pain. Yeah. <laughs> Why is that? They're like anti-Amazon. I don't know. They, they cut ties with them a few years ago, apparently. So now oh. I get everything like Amazon to me, have to put it into a, another box and then ship it for a million dollars to Switzerland. But it's worth it. So <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that that's really funny. I I can't say I have the most fond thoughts about Bezos and Amazon and that whole thing. But man, <laughs> is it convenient? It's <laughs> it's, it's very convenient. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. No. The, those are those are awesome tips. Just staying uh, staying intentionally connected. And I feel like especially now with um, 
technology, it's so much easier than it used to be. Yeah, yeah. FaceTiming makes all the difference, definitely. Um, rather than just, you know, quick phone calls or like we were talking, you know, Skype and having to pay and things like that. Um, and just even being able to text constantly throughout the day is nice. It just makes it feel a bit more normal, even though, you know, you're thousands of miles away from each other, from each other. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what's your favorite part of Switzerland? Have you traveled, traveled a lot around Switzerland? Um, I've traveled quite a, quite a bit. Oh, I don't, he might get mad at me for saying that too. I might make a lot of people mad during this, but, um, <laughs> he's, he's definitely shown me around. Um, the last, when I was there in August, um, we got to go up to the mountains. Um, they have a vacation. His family has a vacation home there, oh, um, nice. in the, in the Swiss Alps. And so we went to Sermat, um, which is where the Matterhorn is. Oh yeah, um, and my it is dream, just my dream job is flying for Air Zermatt, but <laughs> <laughs> I know it'll probably never happen. But man, it would be a dream. I mean, it's it's like you're in a weird postcard. Like it doesn't feel real. Um, I mean, we were there in the middle of summer, but it was still like snow-capped mountains and um just absolutely beautiful these little swiss towns like it feels like i'm in like a hallmark christmas movie um everything is just cute and adorable and the the matterhorn even though we couldn't see the top because the the dang clouds were in the way um as they are most of the time <laughs> really uh, yeah. Although he told me, I think it was yesterday that someone posted and it was totally clear. And he was like, dang. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was just one of those moments where you're like, this, this exists, like places like this exist and they are pure and natural and beautiful and not overrun by, you know, skyscrapers or tall buildings. Um, and it was just such a fun day. We took the train up and just getting to mm -hmm. go through the mountains and see everything. It's just stunning. I mean, it, for such a small country, it really is just absolutely beautiful. Yeah. I have not been yet, but it is definitely on my list. I can't wait to visit. It's, it's a good one. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And like I said, I, I watched the... Man, I can't remember the name of the show, but it was about Erzermatt, the helicopter um like the charters. rescue helicopters yeah the charter and rescue <laughs> helicopters there it was such a yeah. cool show it used to it was on netflix i think he was saying because he told me about it we saw a couple of them and he's like that's what that's who's on the show like <laughs> yeah <laughs> the red paint scheme with the white stars like oh it's, uh -huh. it's just so cool <laughs> yeah someday that'd be awesome so you mentioned you guys met in africa what what were you guys doing in africa um, so I was 29 and I wanted to do something special for my 30th birthday. And so I decided, um, I wanted, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wanted to, um, really do a huge Africa trip. Um, and I wanted it to encompass when I thought of Africa, I wanted it to encompass everything. Um, so I wanted to do some volunteering. I wanted to do some mm. like more rough backpacking type stuff rough um and I wanted to do a little bit of luxury and I wanted to have a little bit of free time so I wanted everything um so I spent a year um planning I am not typically a planner when it comes to traveling I 
really like to buy a one-way ticket and that's it, um, not plan anything. But um, I wanted to be careful. It is Africa. There are uh, some things that happen and, and you need to be a bit more mindful when traveling to certain places in the world. So I planned everything and I encompassed everything into a crazy 10-week whirlwind 30th birthday trip um, wow. and happened to meet him partway through. <laughs> That's awesome. So what all did you do? Um, so I started in Kenya volunteering at a children's orphanage. Um, and it was, it was pretty cool. The volunteer house that I stayed at just has volunteers come and they are volunteering at tons of different places. So whether they're hospitals or other orphanages or whatever, um, they said typically the house has a lot of teachers, but for some reason, um, when I was there, it was almost completely medical based people out of just pure coincidence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a few Spanish doctors, uh, PAs, nurses, um, we just kind of took over the volunteer house. Um, and the orphanage that I was at, we decided to start checking the, the, the kids because they hadn't had, you know, medical checkups in God knows how long, if ever. And we found that there was a pretty big scabies outbreak at the orphanage. Um, and so took it upon ourselves to try to eradicate that issue. Um, even though it's a daunting task, it is doable. And so, uh, almost all of the other volunteers kind of stopped their volunteering at the other places and helped out at the orphanage, um, for that for a week or so, so that we could really get all hands on deck and do our best to eradicate the scabies for these kids. Um, wow. and it was one of the hardest, most rewarding, most life-changing, most frustrating things that I've ever done. Um, but that's, I mean, that was one of the things I really wanted to do was a non-negotiable as part of my trip. And I'm glad that I did it in the beginning. <laughs> Because, um, yeah, I mean, sharing a house with, you know, 20 plus other people in one bathroom, one working shower. Um, uh, yeah, during the rainy season in Kenya <laughs> uh, with no like dryer, um, no washer, you know, you, you hand wash your clothes, but you're also now dealing with scabies. Um, it was it was a crazy ride, but I wouldn't change it. For anything um i would yeah. tell anyone that's thinking of, of volunteering go um go with an open mind and an open heart but also be prepared um to experience some things that you might not have expected to experience coming from america and then seeing kind of the poverty there and just working with these kids in kenya how did that impact you oh my gosh i mean we as Americans are so materialistic, um, we need so much to be happy or be content. Um, and seeing these kids that have only the clothes that are on their back, um, most don't have a toothbrush, um, and they're still laughing and smiling and playing and and doing the things that kids here would do. You know, they're making toys. Um, out of nuts and bolts that, that, that they might find on the floor or, you know, they are super into dancing or singing, um, telling stories. Uh, and they just, 
thrive off of like human touch and human love. And I think that unfortunately as Americans, we've kind of strayed away from that. And we now tend to show our love through the materialistic things instead of that quality of time that I think humans just so desperately need. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just kind of puts everything into perspective. You know, it makes you realize what you really need and what you don't. Um, even traveling, you know, I was like, here, take my clothes. I don't, I only need like three things, you know, like it just makes you downsize. Um, and I wish I could say it does stay with you forever, but you definitely tend to go back into your old ways. And every so often I have to like take myself back and be like, you don't need this, you know, thing. Um, this isn't what it's about. And yeah, I mean, I recommend anyone that, that can do it, just do it wherever it may be. I think it is, it changes you to the core, truthfully, just seeing how, how other people live with so much less. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's always a good reminder of what is truly important in life. And, you know, it's not, it's not bad to have, you know, nice pairs of clothes for different events, but right. like you were saying, sometimes we just get so focused on that and we just totally lose our perspective and we're like, oh man, I, you know, I can't go to that cause I don't have this. Or, you know, I, I, if only I had this, I would be more content or more happy, you know? And so seeing this just, you know, seeing how happy these kids are is just, yeah, life-changing. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was something we, because of the scabies, we had to wash their clothes. And so in order to do that, we needed to provide them with new clothes and just watching them. I mean, we had a bunch of scrubs that clearly didn't fit these small children and they were just thrilled to like, look like doctors. And, you know, it didn't matter that these were hand-me-downs or that they were too big or whatever. Just the thought of having something new to them was so far beyond. Whereas I feel like for us, that's just more of an everyday type of thing now, unfortunately. Um, And we've gotten away from like really treasuring the the few items that maybe you you really wanted and saved up for. Um, We're kind of like, I want it and I get it now type of culture. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's always a good reminder. And that honestly, that's one of the things I love about travel because yeah you're spending money on yourself but you're investing in yourself you know you're having these experiences which grow you and it could be in a developing country it could be in just a different culture it could be in you know so so many different ways that actually grow us get us outside our comfort zone and i just love that about travel i really do it gives us you know a real life education and i think you know i've always been it's kind of funny because my wife and I talk about this a lot because I'm I'm not uh, my love language is not gifts like gift giving is not my love language I you know I I always appreciate a good gift but when giving one it's just the hardest thing for me to figure out what to give <laughs> and when anybody's asking like what do you want for your birthday or what do you want for Christmas I'm like I don't know man I I, I don't need anything it's just so it's so funny because that's just not where's my wife. Um, a love language for her is gifts, but it can be something super simple. It can be something, you know, she was needing and you just bought it for her and surprised it for it. Like, you know, it's super simple. So it's just how different love languages work. But um, 
it's so funny because for me, like I would, I could throw out all the gifts and just like do experiences, you know, like, oh, for my birthday, no gifts. Let's just go to a cabin somewhere, you know, like let's just have a crazy cool experience. And I think, you know, it's one of those things where those experiences just last with you. And even if your love language is getting gifts, you know, experiences do uh, mean a lot to people because it, it builds you and those memories stick with you forever. Oh, I think a thousand percent. And I think it is a gift. I mean, my boyfriend and I last Christmas, um, I, I actually, my love language is gift giving, ironically. Um, but I do love to get and receive experiences, as you said. Like, to me, those mean more than anything. And he surprised me. We were in Belize for Christmas. And he surprised me with a flight over the blue hole. Um, oh, nice. Which is, it's, which is one of those quintessential things that, like, you should do in Belize. You should see it. It's, it's unbelievable, but it's also unbelievably expensive. And he knew that I would not um, have spent that kind of money to do that experience on myself. Um, and so it was one of the best gifts I think he could have given me because seeing it was incredible. It's beautiful. Um, and I just would have never done it for myself. And I try really hard to do the same for other people and, and buy them things as well. Uh, my friends always laugh because people will look and they'll see that I, that I've traveled quite a bit and take off quite a bit of time. And they assume that I, you know, I'm just come from money or, or something. And, um, it's actually the exact opposite. I really just don't spend any money at all. Um, I'm, I live super frugally, uh, when I'm not traveling and all of my money goes to travel. It's really my priority. Um, so, you know, Goodwill is one of my best friends. Uh, the dollar store, one of my best friends. <laughs> uh, moving, I, I didn't take much from California. And so everything is from, you know, Goodwill or, or offer up like garage sales and, and the dollar store. Uh, That's awesome. Because I like to spend my money on, on those experiences and those, those traveling. Um, I think it's, like you said, it's, it's something that will be with you forever and it's worth every penny. I don't know at one person who's traveled and been like, oh yeah, I really wish I hadn't spent the money on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so when you were in Africa, did you get to go to Rwanda? No, I was not in Rwanda. Um, we started in Kenya and then I was in Tanzania and Zanzibar. Um, okay. which even though Zanzibar is in Tanzania, you get a new passport stamp. It's really a bizarre when you go to Zanzibar. Um, hmm. and then we went to Malawi. Um, we were in Zambia, Zimbabwe, South Africa, Botswana. So I hit, I hit quite a few places, but not Rwanda, unfortunately. Next time. Uh yeah, I want to go see the gorillas there. That's <laughs> yeah, I had I had friends that did the gorilla trek, and they said it was just stunning. Um, so it's definitely on the list for the next one. Um, but this, I got tons of of safaris on my back, and so now I'm now I'm a bit spoiled. I can't yeah. go to a zoo <laughs> and be happy. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Like it's <laughs> zoos are just sad. It's like, oh man, he's just in this cage. <laughs> Yeah, and or it's even... weird when when you're on the safaris, like you forget that it's not like a zoo, or you're not on this like ride, and that it this is really just mm. like random in the middle. You know, even when you're driving on the roads uh, near these parks that have like 
you know, animal crossing signs, but it's, you know, elephant crossing or, you know, watch out for whatever warthogs. And <laughs> it's just funny. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. It, it feels like you're in this uh, tourist attraction where you're just riding through an amusement park. It's like, oh, there's the animatronic animals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah, no, we we were up in uh, Denali uh, when back when I lived in Alaska, and we'd drive through with the bus. And, man, seeing the bears, like the grizzly bears and stuff, just the coolest thing. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty powerful seeing animals in the wild, too, just seeing how yeah. they live and... And what they do. It's it's one of those surreal moments and it kind of just makes you stop in your tracks and just watch, you know, how nature works, how how everything goes when when humans are just kind of on the side. Um, there there really is something magical about seeing them in the wild and yeah, you feel like you're in a movie. <laughs> yeah. You also mentioned you've been to Southeast Asia. What what part of Asia did you visit? Or which country? Yeah. Um, so I spent about 10 to 12 weeks, um, combo in Bali, Indonesia, um, Vietnam and Thailand. Um, and I went with actually a friend. I was in Australia. She was in, oh, somewhere else in the world. And we met up in Indonesia. Um, she is, (laughs) her name is Katie as well. And I always laugh because she is probably a good eight plus inches taller than me. She, oh, is, I am Caucasian for those of you that don't know. She is African-American. And at the time she had dreads and I am blonde. And when we would introduce ourselves, you know, people would say, oh, you know, where are you from? What's your name? And you know, I'm Katie. I'm from the U.S. And she'd be like, I'm also Katie, also from the U.S. And uh, a saying in Asia is, oh, same, same, but different. And so that became their saying for us, like, oh, same, same, but different. <laughs> <laughs> You've that got the Katie's from the U.S., but you're you're the same, but you're not the same. And we would just joke <laughs> about that all the time. <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Bali was amazing. Um, everything that you probably read about it is true. Uh, it's cheap. It's it's interesting. I mean, some of the more touristy areas are kind of overrun because there's tourists there. You have, you know, people trying to sell you things more often and and it's not as relaxing as sometimes they may seem. But we were in Ubud um, during what happened to be the Bali Spirit Festival by chance. And so it was like this huge, you know, like yoga meditation-y type festival that goes on for days and there's you know live musicians from around the world and there's all these classes and stuff and at the time I had never taken a yoga class in my life and I was like yeah sure why not I mean we're here and it ended up just being such a surreal experience and totally then throughout our travels through Bali we decided to like just take random classes and and kind of explore that part of of Bali like the more spiritual side Mm -hmm. um And then going from Bali to Vietnam. So we went to Vietnam on a whim. Like we, we got the visa that we needed to get. Um, There was no real reason for us to go just besides wanting to see Vietnam. Um, I had no expectations for the country whatsoever. Didn't really know much about it, to be honest. And 
it ended up being one of the countries, like when I tell people that I was most surprised, most shocked, um, most excited about telling people about, um, is totally Vietnam. Really? Yeah. How so? Yeah. Um, I think it's still super underrated. Um, I think that the culture and, and it has some stunning beaches and stunning mountains and stunning, like it has everything that you don't realize. Like, I mean, I don't know how much people know about Vietnam as an American. I only really knew the American version of the Vietnam war. Mm -hmm. And that was pretty much the extent of my knowledge of Vietnam. And so traveling through this country and just, I mean, it was breathtaking at every change. Like you're on, you're on these trains or you're on, you know, these mopeds and you're just, you can't stop taking pictures because every turn is more beautiful than the next. And you're like, how, how is this country so beautiful? And I had no idea. It is dirt cheap. Um, so you can travel on very little money and, and, and be comfortable. Um, I mean, I stayed in a hostel for $3 a night and it had free drinks for two hours a night. So how can you beat it? Like, <laughs> man, you weren't um, joking. That is dirt cheap. <laughs> it is dirt cheap. Um, we went to one place, um, Hoi An, which is known for like uh, getting clothes and things like that made. Hmm. And we were laughing because we were like, we'll probably never be able to afford this ever again. So we might as well get a couple things made. And you get to like, design and pick out the fabrics and talk to the designer and then they fit you and and you go back for a few days and they just create these things that they make for you um and you just kind of feel like like a baller like you're like oh i'm just look at me getting my my custom-made clothes that i could never afford but i mean everyone is just so nice and it's the food is incredible um the things that you can do uh like the we did um like waterfall scaling Hmm. um like cascading down waterfalls and things like that um we stayed in some of the most ridiculous places like there's a place called um the crazy house there's the crazy house and then there's hundred roofs bar and um anyone that's going to vietnam go to these two places uh they were made by an architect and his student and hundred roofs bar just has, you go in and there's all these different like staircases and tunnels and all these places. And you just get lost. You just walk around and there's different floors that you happen to find randomly and it has different bars on it, but you just get lost. And same thing for the hotel. There's only eight rooms, but like we stayed there for a night and we had to be directed back to our room every time because we just couldn't find it because there's just all these different staircases and you go left and right. And it's, it's really incredible. (laughs) That's so cool. What a unique concept. (laughs) I know. It's like, this is awesome. I should bring this back to the U (laughs) S right. (laughs) Man. I just, I love hearing about your long trips too, like 10 weeks, you know, I, and I love that. And you'd written earlier about how it's so much different to experience a true travel trip than just a vacation. Um, what is, what are kind of the differences that stand out to you and why is it, why is that important? Um, so, I mean, don't get me wrong. I take what I call vacations as well. I mean, 
there's been numerous times where you know we have a week off for Thanksgiving and I, I go somewhere for a week. Um, I think that when you have that short of a time span, it's really hard to explore much more than like a single city. Um, you know, for example, I, we were in uh, a couple years ago, I went to Denmark and I was in Copenhagen. Um, and for that week, I explored Copenhagen and I loved it, but I can't like say that I have a good feel for Denmark outside of Copenhagen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that a lot of times, especially for Americans that don't have much time off, when you're taking a vacation, when you get your one or two weeks off, uh, you're really just looking to like relax and, and chill and you don't necessarily have the energy to do the exploring. And so a lot of times I feel like either, you know, a resort or a beach to just kind of decompress a bit because, you know, we, we work a lot, um, (laughs) over here. I think our culture is very much, um, live to, to work. Um, and unfortunately I think, yeah, I think it's more focused on the decompression as opposed to actual traveling, and, and experiencing and, and enjoying other cultures. Um, I had a friend, I mean, even Hawaii, which is the US, but she had been to Hawaii a few times and had never left the one mile radius of Waikiki. Um, and when I was living there, I was like, no, 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 we're gonna do an island drive. There's so much more to Oahu um, than Waikiki. But I think that's kind of what happens when you only have a few days, you just, can't fathom them spending the energy or the money doing more because you're always doing more. But when you have a few months, you can take that time because you have the time to relax for a few days as well as hit the ground running and explore and do the tours or get lost or whatever it is that you so please. Um, It's why I really like to not plan if possible. I like to just go based off of what I hear. If, if, if I'm in a place and they're like, no, you really need to go do this or see this place. I'm like, cool. Why not? Um, but yeah, I mean, I am super blessed and lucky because I realized that this isn't the norm for a lot of Americans, unfortunately, luckily for other cultures it is, um, they get quite a bit more time off than, than we do typically. And, and they're a bit more lenient with how they take their time off. Um, but I think it is something that we're lacking in our culture um, is, is having that opportunity to just really get involved in other cultures. There's just not the time for most people. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that kind of shows with, uh, the American mindset and the American politics and that's a whole nother discussion, but I do think we could benefit from some more cross-cultural education. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I I always laugh because I, whenever I'm getting into, uh, a more difficult conversation with someone that I don't know as well. I always make sure I'm like, have you left the United States? Like, have you ever been out? Because unfortunately a surprising number of people haven't or don't even have a passport. Um, And so there, they are in this bubble that is the United States and it's just, that's not the world. Um, You know, we have a lot to learn from everywhere else. So but it's hard when our culture is not set up to do that as yeah. easily. <laughs> yeah. It's like shooting ourselves in the foot, but uh, yeah. 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 And you know, you can't, you can't judge people because we all do it. Like until we're exposed to other ways of doing things, um, we just stick with what's normal. We stick with what's right. comfortable. 
and change right. is scary. It's a, humans are averse to change. <laughs> <laughs> That's why everyone's had such a rough year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, let's go ahead and transition over to the rapid fire facts section. Uh, do you prefer beaches or cities? Uh, beaches. What's your favorite city that you visited? Sydney. Do you prefer group or solo travel? Solo, but now that I have a significant other, I find that I now want to experience those travels with him, which, you know, super lucky dude, because I really like to travel by myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Honestly, when you have a super close significant other, though, it's almost like solo travel. You know, you're very yeah. comfortable with them. It's the same elements. Um, do you prefer Apple or Android? Apple, because I, like you just said, I'm comfortable with Apple, but I'm open to changing. <laughs> nice. I like it. What's the worst food that you've ever tried? Um, grasshoppers slash beetles in Thailand. Oh, yummy. <laughs> what's, what's your favorite airline that you've flown with? Uh, Virgin Atlantic. Do you prefer train or bus travel? Train, definitely train. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would you want to live permanently? Ooh, tough question. Um, like in a motorhome so I could travel. Does that count? Yeah, that, <laughs> that works. That's, um, that's right, a very... Right, right now, Switzerland probably looks the most likely. Um, but yeah, I mean, the thought of just living in a small mobile home and living a more minimalistic lifestyle, but having that freedom to just wake up wherever um, is really appealing to me at the moment. That's awesome. Uh, what is your favorite airport that you've flown through? Oh, favorite airport. I mean, I guess London Heathrow. It's huge. It's beautiful. There is shops galore, everything you could want to eat. Um, I mean, you could definitely live there. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And when you're flying, do you prefer the window or the aisle seat? Window. I am super short, five foot tall. Um, so I like to lean against the window to sleep. And I don't often have to get up too much to use the restroom. And so if I'm on the aisle and I have to get up, it's annoying. <laughs> yeah, understandable. And then last question. This can be as long as you want it to be. What makes travel worth it to you personally? Um... So it's weird. I mean, the, the best that I can describe it that I is when people describe like when how they feel about religion or, or something that they deeply, deeply believe in. Um, this is as close as it gets for me. Um, to me, I think that the lessons that you learn about yourself, about others, about the world um, are indescribable when you're traveling. Um, I think that something happens for me when I'm traveling. I, I feel like I am my truest form of myself, whether that's partially because you're like, hey, I don't know if I'll ever see these people again, so screw it, doesn't matter, and I can just be me. Um, people always laugh because they're like, oh, you could be anyone. And I'm like, yeah, but that's the cool thing. Like, You can actually just truly be yourself. No one has any preconceived notions about you. Um, and you can just really like let loose and, and, and be you and 
you know, in my everyday life, I'm super routine, super anal organized. And I am the exact opposite when I'm traveling. Like, I don't like to have a plan. I like to just go with the flow um, because there isn't those constraints um, that everyday life puts on you. And I think that people that do travel get easily sucked into it. And people that haven't, it's because they haven't gotten the chance to do it yet. And I think that, you know, if anyone is kind of on that brink right now, especially with COVID and they're thinking like, Oh, when this, when this stuff is, is lifted and I can travel again, like maybe I will, I, I say save up now and just, just do it. Take the plunge. It doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be for, you know, months uh, if you can't do it, but just take that leap because I think it'll, it changes people's lives truly. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share this conversation with your friends. You can find me on social media at Travel Worth Living or on the web at travelworthliving.com. I sincerely hope you'll join me again next week for another incredible conversation about travel. I'm Seth Sutherland, and this is Travel Worth Living.